All right, well, I'll go ahead and get started, and uh, if nothing else, we'll have it on the recording. So, um, so there's a couple things that you should have received on the way in. Um, there's a handout here and a little brochure here that kind of walks us through the process. Welcome. What the heck, Jacob? <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Over. Yeah, that's okay. That came out way too naturally. No, that's okay. I, uh, I will go by anything. So whatever you feel comfortable with calling me, I will accept it. Um, so what I want to do today is just talk through a summary and rationale for pursuing certification in biblical counseling, talk through a little bit of, of why I think it's important, and then um, talk about how we can help you through that process as well. So um, let's start with uh, what is biblical counseling. Um, so I've got a number of quotations here from you for you for, from a no, number of books here. This is Heath Lambert. He says, Counseling is a conversation where one party with questions, problems, and trouble seek assistance from someone they believe has answers, solutions, and help. So really you could say any kind of counseling is like that. Um, not necessarily biblical, but obviously the solutions we're going to find is going to be found in the Bible. Uh, Pierre and Reju in their book, The Pastor and Counseling, say that biblical counseling is the ministry of the word by which Christians help others understand how their hearts are actively responding to God amid their specific life circumstances and how faith in Christ changes those responses. Um, so, um, so it's an active response, and we're helping them move towards faith in Jesus Christ. And so... Um, the way that I would, uh, so let me read this one here and then I'll um, just insert a comment. Authentic biblical counseling is simply biblical wisdom properly applied by spiritually mature counselors. Um, I think one way to describe it, and even in Dr. Reggio as he was talking earlier, it's just intensive discipleship. It's just taking the truth of the scriptures and applying it to a person's life. Um, so we don't have to be like, well, where is this in the scripture? Why is this a brand new thing? There's a whole study we could do on like how psychology came along and biblical counseling came as a response to psychology, secular psychology. Um, but ultimately, I, I think if we just recognize that biblical counseling is just discipleship, it's this private ministry of the word where I am sitting one-on-one -on -one often or one-on-two and just sharing with them the scriptures and how it applies to their lives. Uh, next, biblical counseling is helping a real person with a real problem using the Bible. That's Brad Bigney's uh, pastor there in Florence, Kentucky. That's the one when you're driving down 75 and you see the big water tower that says, Florence, y'all. That's Florence, Kentucky. When you first come into Kentucky, you see that. That's Brad Bigney. He's a pretty dynamic guy. David Paulson calls biblical counseling the interpersonal ministry of the word. So I like the way that he describes that. So the public ministry is preaching. The private ministry is kind of like this self-care, self-counsel. I'm um, watching out for myself and my own doctrine, uh, as Paul talks about. And then here, um, what we're talking about is the interpersonal ministry of the Word. That's biblical counseling, where we're taking the Scriptures one-on-one -on -one and helping them to understand it. Um, this is uh, Paul Tripp. Uh, possibly. Uh, people in need of change, helping people in need of change. <laughs> so, pretty memorable, but there's a better Paul than him, and that's uh, the Apostle Paul. He calls it speaking the truth in love. Uh, Jesus describes it as loving your brother. You know, simply 
This is one of the, one of the ways that we love other believers. Um, but Ephesians 4.15 here, Paul's saying, listen, you need to speak the truth in love. Take this love that you have for your fellow brother or sister in Christ and speak truth to them. Okay, so that's, again, back to Dr. Dereshu, who's helpful. Um, you know, whether they're confused believer, I don't know how to make this decision, or they're rebellious, you know, they're turning away from God, or if they're hurting, I want to speak truth to them. Paul described his labor on behalf of the Thessalonians in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, just as you know how we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. So the goal of biblical counseling is sanctification. We want to see the counselee respond to their situation in a way that pleases God, that increases their view or perspective of who God is and what he's designed them to do. Um, and um, Paul's, one of his... Uh, highest goals, maybe his highest goal, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, Philippians 3, and the fellowship of his suffering. And so what we're trying to do is to help peop- help counselees to know God better. Um, another way to say that is to help people know God better. Sometimes we, it can feel a little clinical when we're like, oh, you're my counselee type thing. Um, so um, a simple way that I would describe it is just using the Bible to help people handle problems. Using the Bible to help people handle problems. So, so that's biblical counseling in a nutshell. Um, and um, so let's talk about certification. And we'll start with what certification is not. Certification is not being licensed by the state. So there is a um, licensed certified counselor, um, uh, professional, what do they call that, P- PLC, um, professional, yeah, I forget, but anyway, um, state licensed counselor. Um, so basically what that is, is uh, notice what their goal is, the goal of promoting and enhancing healthy self-actualizing and satisfying lifestyles. So that's their goal. If we get licensed by the state, there's a lot of requirements that you have to go through. There are some, um, there are 3,000 hours of supervised counseling over a two-year period. So that's 30 hours per week during your work week. You're just counseling all the time. So you don't have time to think about these cases. You don't have time to, um, you know, prepare for these cases. You're basically just spending all of your time counseling. And you're, and if you think about the way that the secular model is set up, it's a lot of just listening and being a friend. Um, some people describe psychology as rent-a-friend. Basically, people are just, they don't have any anybody to talk to, and so they need somebody to talk to. And so um, I, heard a, I heard a professional psychologist say one time on a radio program that I was listening to that, um, you know, he's just, happen, he, he's just happy to listen you know, for 40 minutes and, and they'll pay him. You know, he, he doesn't have to actually say anything. And a lot of times what he's doing is just repeating back to them what they're saying. He's not actually giving help. That's why the speaking the truth part is important. It's about not only listening, but um, but responding, giving truth. 
So what we're doing here, uh, what they're requiring then is these 3,000 hours of counseling, then a counselor's exam, and then you have to get approved by the Michigan Board of Counseling. So that's what we do for our state. A lot of the other states are very similar. But once you're a state licensed counselor, you'll have to forfeit some of your rights. Let's see if I can get it to move to the next slide there. There we go. Um, you might have to forfeit some of your rights. So in the state of California, for example, you're not allowed to talk about, um, you're not actually allowed to, to, to do any confer, conversion therapy. So let's say let, that a child decided that he was, um, that he was, uh, let, let's say he's already gone through the process of changing his gender, or at least trying to, and then deciding to change back. And his parents were fully involved in it. The child wanted to as well. Uh, you would not be allowed to talk about that in, in the state of California. Now, Michigan's not as strict on that. They do withhold funds, so uh, licensed professional co counselors are not prevented from talking about personal views or religious views, but the state of Michigan, this is for our state, desires that they keep their religious views out of the counseling session unless it serves the person's progress. So it's kind of, you know, a little bit of leeway there. And I'm like, okay, well, I can, I can see how I could talk about God. Um, I know of some professional licensed counselors and, um, and uh, or some licensed professional counselors and, and who are Christians. And it seems to me that the pressure is to not say anything unless they, the counselee asks. So it's basically like you're trying to help somebody, but you can't use the scriptures, Right. Um, so if you think about the way that psychology works, they call it psychotherapy, right? Therapy means healing, psycho means soul. So how do you heal a person's soul, right? You heal a person's soul from a secular perspective by apparently listening to them, give them behavioral therapy type stuff, um, maybe giving medication. There's all sorts of things that we could talk about there. We'll talk about a little bit of that later, but... But what we would suggest is that they need to understand what's going on in their heart and they need to be directed towards the scriptures and towards God's design for them. Um, so first, certification is not state licensure. Recent law denies state and federal funds. To, so this is Michigan's um, uh, view. This, this just happened in June in our state. So we... Anybody who's licensed by the state, this is not certification, okay? So this is people who are licensed state counselors in the state. They cannot use conversion therapy or they risk losing f state and federal funds. So secondly, um, certification is not the end of learning. You know, like, hey, once I've been certified, I don't need anything else. I'm, I have arrived. I will sit up on top of the mountain. Everybody will come to me. I'll give them the answers. That's not what certification is. Uh, instead, it's more like developing for us a framework for how we think about counseling, like how we think about how to help people with the problems that they're facing. That's what that's what it is. And so we'll talk about uh, what it is here. Um, first, it's training. Certification is training. It, this is the heart of what certification is. Uh, you're going to be trained by counselors who have skill and experience in handling the scriptures and helping apply it to the challenges that people face, that you face. You know, one of the things that I was encouraged to do when I was going through training was to do some self-counsel. Not always the funnest thing to do. We had a self-counsel class in, in seminary when I was going um, 
for, for a biblical counseling class. And basically you have to take some issue in your life that you're dealing with and then um, how would you, if, that, if you were a counsel lead to yourself, how would you deal with that person and walk, them, walk, walk yourself through that process? And it was, it was actually kind of helpful. And, and th- that, that's where it starts. You know, we, this is not just like, I get all the content that I need and I pass it on to other people. No, I'm learning myself. I'm taking what God has taught me and, and helping to, to train other people. That's discipleship. So, um, so let's, let's, let's take this uh, Venn diagram and just think about it for a second. Um, let's say you had three, these three categories of theology, practical advice, and a desire for help. What would you call someone who had a good theology... They understand the scriptures. They're orthodox. We would agree with them. We would go to their church. They're good at practical advice, but they don't really want to help anybody. What might you call them? <laughs> well, that's. I mean, that's that's actually um, the. I think the 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 way that this kind of concept came up. I'm not sure if Dr. Pierre was explaining it exactly like this, but. Dr. Pierre was talking about why he got into biblical counseling, Jeremy Pierre. He said uh, he was standing around with some other professors who knew everything about the scriptures, and someone came up with a problem that they were struggling with in kind of a casual conversation, and the professor stood there dumbfounded, not knowing how to answer, even though he had this full theology, and maybe uh, maybe that would be over here in this this category, right? He had the desire to help, but he just didn't have the, the advice. He didn't know how to apply it. Um, maybe this could be like maybe a monk or an academian, right? Someone who's just like he's he's got it all figured out, but he's not he doesn't really care about helping anybody. Um, how about someone who has a good theology, desire to help, but is does doesn't able to offer practical advice? That's probably that professor who um, yeah doesn't know how to put it into practice. You know, he can give you the concepts, he can teach the concepts, but he can't apply it to his own life. And here, a practical advice and a desire to help, but not a good theology. A yeah, possibly. Phil. Yeah, Dr. Phil, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there might be a lot of good wisdom just because of common grace that he's got. And he desires to help people, but he, he just um, he doesn't have a, a good theological basis. What I would say as a biblical counselor is one who falls right in the middle of those three. That he, he actually... In, encompasses all of them. He's got a good theological foundation. He has some practical advice, some ways to actually put that into practice. So not not a step-by-step program necessarily, but at least some direction. Here's some direction to give you. And then um, he also has a desire to help, of course. So, um, So certification is training. Secondly, certification is preparation. This, if you choose to get certified, it will provide you with a framework for how to, you can handle various problems. See, the, the nature of counseling is that you're not going to get a turn-by-turn roadmap. So when we were growing up, we didn't have GPS. Um, we would go to AAA and get what they called a trick, trip tick, I think is what it was called. And they would have turn-by-turn instructions. And later on, we could get that off the Internet and print it out ourselves. But early, it was only them who had that. And you could get... You put in your starting address and your ending destination, it would tell you. And you just follow that, turn by turn as you went through. Well, that's not where you're going to get. Now, some cases will give you some practical helps that will you can probably use um, in your own ministry. 
But more often what we're going to give you and what you're going to give to your counselees, frankly, is a compass. We want you headed in the right direction, right? There, there might be some different ways to get there. There might be some ways in which you start to veer off course. But we want you to be heading in the right direction. And that will actually help you to deal with issues that you never would have imagined. Because, I mean, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have imagined that anyone would deal with some of the issues that I'm dealing with counselees today. And 20 years from now, there are going to be some things that you guys are going to be dealing with that are like, I have no idea what to do here. I don't know. But if we have a, some kind of a framework for how to think about these things and how to put them into practice, then I think we can um, be effective in, in helping people. Third, uh, yeah, so that's what certification is. Why get certified? And th- some of these have overlap to what we're, what we're talking about here. Why get certified? First, accountability. Um, I mean, why, why go through a, an organization like ACBC? Again, it's not so that we can arrive and, and say that we've accomplished everything. Um, but but it, part of it is accountability. You know, I'm, I'm adding another layer of people who are going to watch me or who my counselees, the people I'm working with, can answer to. So just legally, that's, I think that's helpful, right? Um, so one of the ways that I have it on my informed consent form that all the counselees have to fill out, at least from outside of our church, um, is that if you have a problem with anything that I say in this session, then you are welcome to talk to the pastors of this church, right? So you, that's a, a layer of an appeal, or, and, or, ACBC, because I'm speaking on behalf of our church, I'm speaking on behalf of ACBC in a way. And so now they have another layer of appeal, and frankly, if we don't have that, there's a danger in kind of a cultish mentality, like you have to come to me, there's no one you can appeal to if you don't like what I'm saying. Um, The only option is, I mean, the difference between that and the cult would be the cult doesn't give you a door to get out at all, but... um, but basically, ACBC serves as another organization that will help to hold you to an orthodox statement of faith and a biblically informed standard of conduct. And the nature of counseling is much of it happens behind behind closed doors, right? So it's just you and another person. And so who's going to help? So like that's different than preaching, right? Preaching, you're doing it out in public or teaching even. You're, you have a, a room full of people. Um, but... But with counseling, it's just you and the other person. And so who's going to hold you accountable? Is that person the person who's struggling with the sin? Maybe. But, but the, this organization, I think, is, is helpful in that way. Secondly, um, it's training, which we already talked about, um, made up of people who are more skilled and experienced than we are, that is, ACBC is, and so they can help prepare us for the challenges that we'll face. Third, equipping. Um, it gives us a greater confidence to handle the problems that we're going to face, the counseling load that we're going to have, um, it, it kind of can add some confidence when we go into to this because we've got some tools, some resources that we can lean on, some draw upon before we, we go into the session. We, we have a, a basic plan for how we're going to get to the next step and so on. And then finally, uh, networking. Oops. Networking and fellowship. 
uh, receiving formal counseling training also provides a network of friendships that we can use to help when we have difficult counseling cases. So who are you going to lean on when you have a difficult counseling case? What I found is that um, I, I've developed some relationships within this organization. Um, part of it's just by regularly interacting with these people. Part of it is because I, we have a church nearby. The guy who's going to speak tonight, Bob Johnson, is the pastor of a church that has several um, certified members, um, and I think one of them is David Dunham, who wrote the book Table for Two that you got earlier today. And so I lean on him. I mean, I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll either refer people to him or ask him about things, and so it's, it's a good way to build a network and, and to build friendships that way. Um, but no matter how much training we get, no matter whether we're certified or not, we, we never get to the end of like, okay, I've reached the top. Um, it's there's always this continual learning, continuing education. And so we should never stop improving, improving our skills, never stop reading, trying to learn more about how to deal with problems. And, and often that comes by requirement. Uh, we don't have a choice because we've got a new case that we haven't dealt with before. Um, we tend to deal with a lot of the same types of things, you know. Um, but then you get these new ones. You're like, oh, okay, I didn't think about that one and I guess I need to do some research on that and that's a good place to be alright so um, any questions so far uh, I did have a question about um, when we're talking about licensure um, yeah so if, we're, if people who go through this program are not state certified um, how do you as a in that context I don't know, how do you deal with people? Well, I guess you have one recourse through ACBC, but how do you protect yourself from, like, lawsuits and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and how do you prove yourself legitimate, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, so part of the licensure is it allows you to be able to charge. I mean, we, we technically could charge, I guess, as well. But, but you would actually... So here, one of the advantages of being licensed by the state is you people can use their insurance to come to you to get therapy, right? So you wouldn't be able to do that with this, with this certification. You don't, you can't. No one can bring their insurance to you and say, "Hey, do you take Blue Cross Blue Shield?" And like, no. I, I mean, so you either pay. So so it's not wrong for biblical counselors to charge money. We don't. Um, the pattern that we use and uh, we're planning to use when we when we open it up to the public is basically required a twenty five dollar deposit and. Uh, that deposit is returned if they come to all their sessions. If they don't come to a session, then they have to put another $25 down to, to schedule another session. And that basically just gives them some ownership and also um, it, it protects us from wasting our time on people who are not serious about it. So, so basically we still, we still claim that we offer free counseling even with that sort of model and that hasn't been fully developed, but that's kind of what we're thinking uh, we'll go towards, as far as um, protecting ourselves from lawsuits, I would say, first of all, the best way to do it is good practices, you know, um, good accountability. Uh, here at our church, we, um, uh, we're obviously a training center, so we have people often sitting in on our counseling sessions, so we're not sitting alone. Um, we strongly recommend that, that guys are not counseling ladies alone unless it's in a clear room where people can see 
you know, activity in there. Um, children, same thing. You know, it's not wise to counsel children alone. So there, there's those kinds of protection, protections. But really, lawsuits, protecting ourselves against lawsuits is basically a risk, a risk assessment type of things. Uh, th- there's no way we can ultimately protect ourselves from lawsuits, just like we can't protect ourselves from injury. You know, th- th- it's inevitable. It's going to happen. There are going to be people who are trying to deceive us. You know, they're coming in with an issue that's not real, or they're they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder, and with an issue that is real, or whatever the case is. And so we just want to. Um, what we've been working to do is basically have good documentation on what we're doing. Good training for all the people who will be in that sort of position, and then also checking our documentation against a good lawyer. You know, just make sure, hey, does this sound okay the way we're letting people know up front? This is who we are. So one of the things we say in our informed consent form is we are not state licensed counselors. You know, we are biblical counselors. We're going to listen to your problem and deal with it from the scriptures. So someone comes in with a homosexual, uh, you know, homosexual. Um, relationship and they want to know why it's blowing up and why this is causing so much problem. We're like, well, you know, the, ultimately the issue is sin, and you need to do, you need to repent and whatever else. Well, we don't have to be afraid of that. The other factor is we're not counseling outside of the church. What I mean by that is um, we are closely connected to the local church, and so um, we're tied to our church's statement of faith. It's not like we have a separate like, oh, this is a separate entity. So I think you can run into some more danger that way. Um, but for us, that's kind of how we've approached it. And it's going to be different for every ministry that you're part of, certainly. But you have to kind of adapt. And uh, So I just think about it, risk, risk assessment. Try to do the best we can to re- reduce risk as or, or liability as much as possible. But um, certainly, certainly should not be something that's rushed into. Um all right, any other questions so far? All right, so why get certified with ACBC at DBTS? Um, so we'll talk about the process and what it looks like here in just a minute, but let me just give you four things. Number one, doctrinal fidelity. So we believe that we have an orthodox doctrine from which we base all of these claims and principles and practices. So they start with... Um, this this kind of foundation. So if you look on, what is it, page three, there's kind of this pyramid here, which is, I think is going to come up later, but we believe this is the start. The scriptures are the beginning of everything that we do, and then it goes up from there. Um, and so, doctrinal fidelity. Secondly, word-centered. Um, our, our seminary has a trusted faculty with... Um, I think we've only had three presidents over its 45 years of existence, so we're not, we're not changing. We're not like, we don't really know who we are. You know, the next president has a different, so the original president, I think, was Dr. Rice, and then Dr. McCune, and now Dr. Doran. And so um, we, we kind of know who we are. We're, we're focused on the scriptures. We're moving uh, in the right direction, I think, and uh, certainly that's something for other people to evaluate, but at least from my perspective, that's the way I see it. Church focus. This is very unique. The seminary is a ministry of Inner City Baptist Church. All the professors are members of Inner City Baptist Church. The, the president of our seminary is the pastor of our church. 
Uh, the board of the seminary is the deacons of the church. So you're going to find very few seminaries of this caliber with such a close connection to a local church. Uh, most of them are independently run, have independent boards, and are often made up of an eclectic group of the boards, that is, the, the ones who run the, the seminaries. They're made up of an eclectic group of um, doctrinal positions. And so, again, the, if we are church-focused and we believe that counseling should be happening within the local church, and so we're going to push that, we're going to encourage that. Um, most of the pre- professors have pastoral ministry experience. Several have been full-time pastors or are full-time pastors. Several have served as interim pastors in the, in the area. So um, that, that, I think, is, is one of the great parts about our seminary. And so um, getting certified through here will help uh, just keep you grounded at, to what the central thing is that God is doing in this age, which is he's building his church. And then number four, uh, I think we have a competitive price. So let's talk about that here for a second, um, because there is a price that's connected to what we're doing here. ACBC has f- uh, three phases. We'll talk about what those are and what, what, what all are included, but we'll start with the cost. We, re- we have two classes that make up phase one. If you're a seminary student, you actually only have one class, so this is only $220 instead of $440. But, um, so two classes that make up phase one. One class that makes up phase two, we charge $220 and then two classes that make up phase three for a total of $1,100. Um, if you were to go online with ACBC, they have something that you can just do kind of on your own time. It costs $100, plus you have to buy resources and all your books and everything, which is going to be the same for all these. But in addition to that, you have to pay a grading fee, and you have to purchase observation videos. So that's going to be an extra expense. Um, could be more than that, but that's just a, a price. Then you're also going to have to pay for a fellow. So we'll talk about this phase here. But this last phase is your counseling. You're going to do 50 hours of counseling. And you have to be overseen by a supervisor called a fellow. And so they require you to pay $750, I think, is the new cost uh, of that. Um, so this asterisk, asterisk means we don't charge any extra for these things here. This is all included. The fellow fee is included in all this price. So about the same price here. If you go to other training centers, it might be a little bit more expensive, but um, again, uh, you, you got to kind of just do some shopping on your own, see what kind of value they offer. Um, to me, an in-person training is going to far be far more valuable than an online training. Um, we do offer online training. Uh, on a case-by-case basis. So if you're interested in something like that, like if you're out of state and you want to get certified, um, there's a possibility that that could work. But um, you'd have to check with our seminary to, to see about that. We, we've had some graduates uh, work through that process. All right. Um, so the pathway to certification... Um, we start with the theological foundation, so we're going to see that. That's, that's kind of the very first class that we require. Now, if you, you're a seminary student and you've already taken the theology class, then we allow you to bypass that and move right to the ACBC training. Um, but what we want to make sure is that we don't just, you know, shortcut or, or you know, kind of speed people through the process. Hey, let's get you certified. We want to make sure that they are grounded in theology. So we believe that MDiv students are well-grounded in theology. 
And so um, we allow them to skip right on to the, the basics of biblical counseling. So in the basics class, this first phase of learning, there is going to be theology. You know, there, there, but we can't take, we can't slow down. Talk about the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of sin. Um, we ha- we just have to assume that you already understand it, and then from that we develop principles and practices by which you can understand and uh, how to do counseling well. Then evaluation is um, the next phase, and then experience. This is where you do all your counseling. So let's look at what this looks like here. Um, <clears throat> so. Here's, this is basically that same chart, but it's flipped upside down. So this is the theological foundation, then phase one, two, and three. So theological foundation, ACBC doesn't require this. So if you were to go to their online thing, you wouldn't have to take any theology classes. They require you to read one theology book, or actually 300 pages of theology is all they require. And and um, so that's that's all it is. For us, we believe that you need to have either systematic courses if you're in the MDiv track or this foundations class, if and, and when I say believe, I mean require. <laughs> um, so, we have two tracks that we offer. The MDiv track is for those who um, are already working through an MDiv at our seminary. They can actually get certified by the time that they're that they graduate, if they take a uh, concentration in biblical counseling. So instead of your electives, you're taking biblical counseling classes. So your electives are your biblical counseling classes, and you would be certified by the time you're done. Your systematic classes, you don't have to take all three systematic classes, so that's what the ST means, systematic theology. You don't have to take all your systematic before you start a counseling class. We just assume you're going to take it by the time you graduate. So you would start right into one of these three classes in any order. Intro to biblical counseling, uh, so that's a class we're offering this spring. Marriage and family counseling, and counseling problems and procedures. So you'd have 90 hours where ACBC requires only 30. So this is a more in-depth training to help you get uh, really some meat, I think, especially if you're going to go into ministry and you see this as a, a decent part of your ministry. Not necessarily a major part, but even a decent part. Phase two is exams. Those are assigned in these three classes. There's 44 questions uh, that are required for all of these. Um, let me just talk about those for a second. The exam questions are... Um, basically, so there's uh, 24 questions on theology. A, 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 an example of one is, um, how does church discipline relate to biblical counseling? So where does biblical counseling move towards church discipline? Let's say it's a member of your church that you're counseling. So you kind of work through something like that. Or what is the difference between general and special revelation? And are there still signed gifts today? So that's one of the other questions. So basically, for each of these questions, you're, you're answering one page, one to one and a half pages, and it's open book, open notes, open Bible, um, and so and we give you resources to help you work through that. Um, and so you can we, we try to spread them out over these courses, same thing over on that side as well. But before you can move on to phase three, you have to finish all of these and be approved. So they're wanting to make sure, they're putting a lot of pressure on the candidate, the, count, the certification candidate, to make sure that you know your stuff. And the purpose of them, one to one and a half pages, is actually kind of hard because some of them are really deep topics. The purpose of it is they want you to be able to summarize what you understand about a doctrinal issue or a counseling issue because I said 24 
um, theology questions. And then there are 20 counseling questions. So things like um, uh, a guy's dealing with pornography. They give a little case study. What would you tell to Eric who's dealing with this, right? Um, so, so the purpose of answering in the short one to one and a half pages is, can you summarize well? Because you're not going to go to a book and go, hey, let me quote from Charles Spurgeon or let me quote from Dr. McCune. You're going you're gonna to have to explain what you know about doc, these doctrines. And so that's why they want to do so much work. And I think it's a really helpful, rigorous part of the program. The final part is 50 hours of counseling in your church or ministry. It could be in college, you know, if you're college ministry, if, you're, if that's where you're at um, or wherever you're at. This is over the course of one year, so it's like one hour a week. It's not too difficult. It sounds a little overwhelming, but it's not. Um, and uh, that would be supervised by a fellow, and that's, that's the person who's not necessarily sitting in on your sessions, but he is, uh, you're reporting on each one of your sessions that you have. Every five sessions, you're sending those reports to your fellow. Your fellow's reviewing them and talking to you on the phone you know, 30 minutes a week or something, talk through them, see how you're doing on improving as a counselor. Um, and then you're audio recording five of those sessions so that he can kind of sit in the counseling room almost. That's kind of the idea of that. All right, so we offer, um, for the MDiv track, you do these three classes over the course of three years probably. And then included in that would be these exam questions. You'd have all those finished. And then your last two years or your last two semesters, You'd be working on this kind of like independent study classes, Biblical Counseling Practicum 1 and Practicum 2, which is basically 25 hours of counseling. There's no teaching in this class. It's basically just do your counseling, or yeah, do your counseling and report on it with your supervisor. So I would be your supervisor if that were the case. So if you're, you are not getting a degree from our seminary, but you still want to get certified through our seminary, again, Foundations of Biblical Counseling, if you don't have a theology class from seminary, then basics, we offer this in the summer. Um, this class is 30 hours. Um, it's basically a summary of these three classes. So instead of 90 hours, you're getting 30 hours. That's all ACBC requires. It's the very minimum that you could get. Um, and then in the fall, we offer biblical counseling observation and exams. So one of the other requirements is that you have to, um, you have to watch live counseling or video counseling of an ACBC certified member. So we actually invite you over to our church and let you sit in on our counseling sessions um, when those are available. We also have some really good videos or some other people. The I ideal situation, in my view, is to see a bunch of different people. This is just to get an idea of how people handle it. Because at some point, you've got to take a model or several models and develop your own you know, based on your personality. Uh, some of the things will be the same, but so observation would be that semester and also uh, finish up the rest of the exams. So, by the way, the observation is going to happen during these three courses if you were to take it for MDiv. Um, once you finished all that, then you move on to the same two courses, the Biblical, practic biblical Counseling Practicum 1 and Practicum 2. So, um, the nice part about this whole process is that um, we can do it all in-house. So our seminary can do it all in-house. So basically you have 30 hours of training, 
that's phase one. So we're we're an ACBC certified center. So now any hours that you get uh, of that basics class or any of these three classes, um, those would be um, those would be approved by ACBC. Ten hours of observation. Right now we have two certified counselors, myself and Dr. Khan. And so you're welcome to sit in on those sessions to get your observation in. A thousand pages of reading. So obviously they have a re an approved reading list. So we include that in those classes. So by the time you're done with whichever classes we're requiring, you would be done with them as well. Uh, 44 exam questions. Um, and we now are able to do all the grading in-house as well. So typically, like when I got certified, I sent out my finished exam to a guy in, I think it was Indiana or something, and it took him a couple weeks. He got it back to me. Um, the challenge is when you send it out to a grader, they may not be as uh, right on the same page as us theologically. So if you, if you trust, the, again, the doctoral fidelity of our of our seminary, then um, you know th there's going to be some some alignment there. No one else is going to see these exams besides me at this point. I'm working to get uh, another uh, Dr. Khan to, to get become a certified trainer as well, but or greater as well. And then the 50 hours of supervised counseling. Um, so what I did when I was getting certified was I actually had a supervisor that was down in South Carolina, uh, John Lehman is his name. He's at, uh, I think he's at Hampton Park Baptist. And um, so, you know, I was doing it all over the phone, emailing my reports, and then we talk once a week or once every couple weeks or whatever it was. Um, and uh, so there's, there's only about, I think, 40 active fellows with ACBC, so there's not a lot to choose from. And right now, they're, they're averaging like uh, 300, 330 people a year they're certifying. So if you only have 40 fellows, each of those guys are doing like eight. They're, they're supervising eight members who are coming into the program. Um, and I just finished my fellow requirement, so I'm now able to do this part of the, the process as well. Again, I, I do think it's important that you have somebody who's somewhat like-minded as you. There's some value in getting some other you know, perspectives, certainly, especially if you're getting all the teaching from me, which I don't teach all these classes, by the way. Um, but if, let's say, I was doing all the teaching and then I'm also supervising you, it might be redundant or it actually might be helpful. So there could be some, some wisdom in going outside. But to me, it's like I want to go to someone that has the same view of sanctification that I do, someone who has a, a, a similar process or um, uh, understanding or appreciation for the local church and so on. So that is the pathway. We So we have two two tracks, and it's in that brochure as well, but we call this kind of the in-depth MDiv track, and then this is kind of the, uh, maybe the fast track is probably not the best way to describe it, but it's the non-degree track. You know, so this would be for ladies. This would be for people who are not really, you know, cut out for seminary. They just want to get certified and help in their church. This would be for someone in your congregation who's wanting to um, to just uh, improve their skills. It could be for a current pastor or a seminary graduate. Um, so that is the process. So let me um, see how we're doing on time. 
Uh, I think we get done at five, right? Um, so a couple resources that I would recommend, uh, and then I'll see if you have any questions. So these are more on the side of the counseling process. So how do I go from beginning to end, like starting the process, getting to the end? How do I deal with an individual case? Um, Pierre, I think, has the best uh, book on this topic. He talks about the relationship between the, the heart and our actions. Um, so that's a really helpful book. This is uh, Dr. Reju who just preached a little while ago. He and Pierre have a shorter book that's helpful, just gives a really basic framework for how to counsel well. And so that, I found that one to be helpful. This is my favorite author, David Paulson, um, Seeing with New Eyes. It doesn't exactly give a full framework, but he does help with a lot of helpful um, probing questions. If you're looking for a, a list of those, he's got what he calls x-ray questions that gets to the heart. This is a book I recently purchased and read um, by Laura Whitman from CCEF, A Biblical Counseling Process. She, she does something, a really simple, it's a short book, simple approach, but kind of talks you through the beginning of the process, the middle, and the end. And she just has very simple points, all the things you need to think through. Um, if you have like specific questions, it's not the book to go to, but if you want a general framework, this is probably the best one. And then the classic book is Paul Tripp's Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Um, his model is still used by a lot of people, and it's still on my mind almost every time I get into a counseling room, which is love, know, speak, do. So I want to show compassion for the person, love, know, I want to understand what's going on, and then speak, I want to speak the truth to them, and then do is give them some homework. You know, So if you can just do that every session, it's helpful just to simplify things, um, give them a little bit of truth for a little bit of life.